All right. Let's continue our service in the preaching of the word. Welcome to church again. My name is Pastor Joe Marlin. And um, Aiden, you can turn me down a little bit. I'm pretty loud as it is. So we're in John chapter 12. Um, actually been kind of jumping around, but we are in the last week of Jesus's life now. And like I said, um, we still got a good amount of the gospel of John to go because how most of the gospels are written, it just is a pretty quick, super fast paced movement through the three years of Jesus's life ministering. And then the last week of Jesus's life where he's going to be crucified and all these things are going to happen, the gospel narratives just slow down. Now, when you watch a movie, right, when something, when the storytelling is done that way, it's done for a purpose. There's a reason behind it. The, the sacrifice of Jesus, his death and his resurrection are really important. It's really the highlight. It's really the big deal of the gospels. And we've been saying this over and over again. And I pray that it will sink down into your soul and stay in your head. The, the message that John's gospel continues to present to us is that eternal life can only be received by trusting in Jesus. By placing your trust in Jesus. Not by your good works. Not, not by all the things you suffered. Not by all the times you came to church or all the times you prayed. But eternal life is received only through trusting in Jesus. And abundant life is experienced. So a full, meaningful life of the Spirit and power, a full, abundant life is experienced how? Also by placing your trust in Jesus. That's how it happens. So we've been saying that every week, and I pray that as you hear all these stories, it sinks down into your soul. This is the gospel of John. We call in this series Jesus in Real Life because Jesus is something that we're connected to in our real life, okay? Amen? So let me read today's text. It's found in John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. And it goes, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with them. Then Mary took out a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair so that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why was this, wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what they had put in it. Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. We, we see in this text, we see that they gave a dinner. Now, when you give a dinner, right, that's not just like having dinner. When you go hang out at Burger King or whatever, you're just grabbing dinner, right? You come over to someone's house, you might be having dinner. But here, they're giving a dinner. So we're going to do this thing. We do it every year. It's called Friendsgiving, where we'll get like 300 people from the community. We'll have a big meal at the fire hall. But it's not a soup kitchen type of deal. It's not us standing behind the line, giving out food, and, you know, like just making sure people eat. Although we do want people to eat who are hungry. We decorate that place. We deck it out. It's like our big extended family wedding type of deal, right? We have Christmas trees. We put on the game. We used to put on the, uh, the Super Bowl game, you know, <laughs> the one where we won. <laughs> let's, let, let's go birds. Hopefully, we got a, it looks like we got a good season this year. All right? Things are looking good. <laughs> I see Bryce representing. <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> and, um, but, yeah, we are giving we are giving a dinner, right? And, um, and then it says in the text, Martha served, which, of course she was. Of course Martha was serving. Like, you know the whole story of Martha. She's always serving. She's always got her to-do list. She's always, in every single story, she's the one in the background making sure that stuff happens. And thank God for people like that. Thank God we are all made differently. Amen? And, and so Martha is just, she's serving. And, um, I mean, when we think about this church, right, we got people. We got our Marthas, don't we? We got our people that are always serving. It's like nobody would be shocked to find out that certain people in the church were here in the middle of the week just cleaning up, making things right, fixing things up, preparing things because God has given us those Marthas. Amen? We praise God for them. But then it says that then Mary took a pound of nard, which we find out, it's a perfume, and we find out from Judas that that Perfume could have been sold for 300 denarii. So back in the day when Jesus was around, one denarii was the amount of a skilled worker's day's wage. So I think like a roofer, think like a plumber, think like somebody not making minimum wage, right? But not like super rich either, right? And so 300 days in today's, you know, economy, right? You're talking probably like 50, 60 grand. Now imagine that. This pound of perfume costs like 50, 60 grand. That's crazy, right? When I think about this text, I always want to look up what is currently the most expensive perfume. 
I'm just, this is where my mind goes. So we got a slide for that. Can you put it up, Aiden? So this is right now the most expensive perfume in the world. And forgive me because I'm going to mess up this. It literally is called schmuck. <laughs> but I'm sure, sure it's pronounced like shumuka or something. I don't know. But I'm going to go with schmuck. You know what I mean? Because that just sounds about right. Because this perfume, listen, guys, this perfume, it's the only one. It's in Dubai. It's 1.29 million. 1.29 million dollars. Let me read this description that I that I that I re- that I found on it, the internet. Uh, Shumuk or whatever schmuck perfume, <laughs> we'll go with that. Is the world's most expensive perfume, costing a whopping U.S. 1.29 million. Schmuck is known for registering its name in the Guinness world record for having the most diamond set on a perfume bottle and the tallest remote controlled fragrance spray product. (laughs) It was launched in the city of Dubai at the Armani ballroom of the Burj Khalifa. It was designed by Asghar Adam Ali, who is the chairman of the Nobel Perfumes Group and is also a great master perfumer. Schmuck is bundled with Indian agarwood, sandalwood, musk, Turkish rose, and several many other ingredients, which is not disclosed to the public. It is estimated that this fragrance lasts more than 12 hours on human skin and around 30 days when used on fabric. This is just there's just one bottle available, making it one of the most rare and exceptional perfumes. Now, Mary did not have schmuck. But did, she did have something extremely valuable, right? She did have something extremely valuable. And the point of this thing... Um, now, we, we, you probably know people, like, you probably have family. Um, they get the headstones. They get the, they get the plot. This was for her burial. This was for when she would die. Right? It was for her funeral, but it was used instead for Jesus. She just gave most likely the most precious, expensive thing their family has and just poured it out on Jesus' feet and washed the feet of Jesus in a crazy act of generous love. Amen? I I remember going to this prayer meeting when I was a new Christian um, in high school, and I went up to these brothers that I really respected. It really shaped my life. And I, I was like, listen, guys, I'm pray, pray, pray for my mom. I'm really worried about her. We're going into incredible debt for this little wedding party that we're having for 
my sister. And um, the guys just sort of smiled at me, and the pastor sort of laughed, and he looked at me, and he's like, listen, man, <laughs> um, that's what everybody does. <laughs> Right, you know what I mean? Going into debt for this is like a big deal. Like this is this is like a wedding. Like this is supposed to happen one time. This is this is a big deal. And people celebrate, right? People pay tons of money for what? For weddings, for funerals, for things like this in life. This wasn't something that should have been so high on my scale of things I should be concerned about. You know, I've been given things, and I praise God. I've been giving things, and I've been able to give those things away, and I thank God for that. I thank God that he has given me that. That's not something that comes from me. That's something that God has just given a gift in my life where I didn't have to hold on to every single thing that came my way. Praise God. Like, I've had, I can't even, I don't even have many. Like, I've had a bunch of guitars in my life. Um, only paid for one. <laughs> you know? And not even the most expensive one. I had a Gibson Hummingbird. Pearl design. 1979 vintage. Somebody got it when they were a kid, and it went into their closet. And then they were like, hey, you know about guitars. You can have this. And I said, listen, man, this is, a vin- this is a classic. This is worth some thousands of dollars. Like, you don't have to give this to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they wanted to give it anyway. I, I, I can think about, like, in the beginning, you know what I mean? When I was trying to get up in life, I, I can think about one of, one of my friends, you know, gave me this old car, this old beater car. I had nothing. And I've also done that, right? Like I've received freely and I've given freely. I remember when my father died and w- there was an inheritance from the sale of the house he was living in. And I had like that change your life kind of money that probably a lot of us here wish was in the bank account right now because we're struggling. And didn't get to, I didn't hold on to that for more than a few weeks. And I don't regret that for one second. There is joy in generosity. There is joy in giving away what you have. There is joy. When the gospel was preached throughout the world and people started coming and they started to understand that Jesus died, he went to hell for them so that they could live, people would come to the apostles, sell their summer homes, sell their second properties and all that, and lay the money at their feet and just say, use this for the kingdom of God. And I I want you to know that people have done that for this church here. People have given up and sacrificed for this church to exist. Praise God. People have been extremely generous. There is joy in giving. I'm sure you heard this before, but it's true. You cannot outgive God. Amen. It says in Proverbs that when you lend to the poor, you're not lending to the poor, you're lending to God. And God himself will repay you. Another thing about that, when you lend to the poor, you lend to someone you know can't pay you back, it's a gift, right? (laughs) Like, don't lend to people and then get salty that they don't pay you back. Amen? 
understand that God will bless you. That's how that works. Give freely or don't give at all and don't be bitter. You hear what I'm saying? Give freely or don't give it all. If you don't have it to give, sometimes we get pressured and manipulated into giving stuff we don't have. And I need you to hear me say this. Like, don't give it all then. You can't give what you don't have. But if you do have something to give, man, there's joy in being generous. Amen? There's joy in being generous. Um, you know, and, and, and it's not just with money. You know what I mean? I've been able to see God work through being generous with contacts, with relationships, with, with like, here's this guy's number. Here's time with this guy. I, I, I love watching people, right, kind of get to know some folks they wouldn't have ever known, help them get a job, help them experience new things, help them have new experiences in life. This is what it means to be generous. Like, we're generous with our time. We're generous with our contacts. We're generous with our space. God did not call us to be stingy with all of our time and our house and our space. And if we have a car with that, he called us to live generously. And in the ways that we're being stingy, we got to ask why. There's boundaries, but then there's being stingy. And you got to ask, like, Holy Spirit, which one am I? Are these healthy boundaries, you know, so I don't burn out and, like, you know what I mean, just never have time to myself, never have any money for myself, and never have any space to myself? Or is this just me just being stingy and, and just, like, barely having any of my life accessible to other people because I have some brokenness in me that I'm trying to, like, fix and heal the wrong way. And I haven't gone to God, and I haven't experienced his healing. And so I, I see that I just have such a limited capacity to give of myself. Would the Lord search our hearts and convict us where we're being stingy? Amen? Giving is better than receiving. Jesus said it. It's true. And everyone who has ever been able to give knows it's true. It is more blessed to give than receive. The heart of God is generosity. And the more we follow God and we're his friend, remember last week, the more our hearts will be generous as well. The main thing that this passage reminds us of is that we spend our time, our money, we spend our time and money on the, what is most important to us. We spend our time and money on what's most important to us. If we don't do anything for our bodies, right, like we don't care, right? If we don't do anything for our family, then we don't care. If we don't do anything for God's people, the church, then that's something that we're just not invested in. If we don't do any, spend any time with God, then we don't care. Like our bank statement is, a, is, is actually showing us what we care about. <laughs> right? And some of that stuff you, you got to care about. Like you need a roof over your head. I know that, like the, there's things there that are immutable. They need to be there. But in, it's very true that the way we spend our time and our money 
shows what we care about. And then Judas, right, Judas tries to trip him up. Judas comes with, well, this, this perfume was so expensive. So Judas, instead of seeing Mary just give this, like, extremely extravagant gift to Jesus, Jesus Judas can't see it that way. Judas sees it as, man, think of the money. <laughs> we could have sold this and given it to the poor. Now, here's the problem. You know, uh, John tells us what the motivations of Judas's heart was. He's the one, he was like the treasurer of the uh, apostles. He's the one that had the money bag, the common purse, right? And he would just kind of take some for himself. And so that was really his problem. He's like, this stuff is just being poured out on the ground. And the whole house is smelling like this perfume right now. And there's tears and devotion to Jesus. But he loves to skim a little bit money more than he loves Jesus. That's what's going on. That's the true motivation of his heart. But what he's doing here, it's called gaslighting. And this is a phrase that, that like, I'll be honest with you, like, I've heard so many times and have wondered what in the world are people saying because they're always talking about someone, you know, being gaslighted or they're gaslighting me. But it comes from this movie back in the 40s. It's like a phrase that's only been around for a couple years. But it's from this movie that's back in the 40s. And what it is, it's a form of manipulation. And it makes you question what you're feeling and what you experience and what you think. And probably mostly all of us have had this happen to us, right? You ever have your folks say this? Eat all your food. There's kids starving in China. <laughs> Eat all your food. There's kids starving in China. So we use other people's suffering to control you now because we just want to use anything to just get you to eat the stinking food on your plate, right? But what does this have to do with kids in China? Not a thing. Nothing. Zero, right? But what, what, what Judas is doing is the same thing. He's talking about the poor. But what does this have to do with the poor right now? It had nothing to do with the poor. It had everything to do with him wanting a little bit of influence and control to move things in a certain way. He's lamenting like, man, I wish I would have had that money. He's seeing the dollar bills, and he's seeing that he missed out on an opportunity for a hustle. And so he's gaslighting everybody in the room. Oh, man, what we saw is this beautiful act of worship. But what we should be thinking about is how we could have been helping all these poor people. Right? He's, he's getting them to question their reality, question what it is they're seeing. And I want you to know that this is what happens to us. And when we follow Jesus, he actually wants us to have his wisdom and his discernment. He wants us to actually see through people's BS. Amen? He does. And this is one of the ways you know if you're following Jesus or you're following a personality or the teachings of a man. When you follow Jesus and his spirit is sent and lives in you, you actually get wisdom for yourself. 
You can stand on your own two feet, and you can begin to see what's right and wrong. You're able to discern things. You're able to see that this is not coming from God. This ain't true, and this ain't good for me or anybody. God wants to give you discernment. But there are people, there are teachers, there are spiritual leaders. There are people out there that may not even call themselves spiritual leaders. There are family members. There are neighbors. There are people in our lives that they don't want us to be more discerning. They want to pull the blanket over us. They don't want to see what we're doing. Because they got other plans, other other motivations. True faith is not receiving everything naively without discernment. That's not true faith. But when we're united with Jesus in a real relationship with him, we get some of his wisdom. Amen? So pray for that wisdom. Pray for discernment that people would not use you. That people like Judas wouldn't put false guilt on you. Now, real guilt is a problem. We do things that are wrong. We hurt people we love. We say the things we shouldn't have said, think the things we shouldn't have thought, and do the things we shouldn't have done. Amen? And so real guilt is like the check engine light on the car, and we got to pay attention to it and not, like, just put a little piece of electric tape over it and ignore it and act like nothing's wrong. Right? Like one of our sisters praying about all the mechanical problems in her car. Our car was rumbling like crazy down 55 today. And I'm praying, I don't know how we're going to fix it or what the problem is. But when your car rumbles, when you hear a screeching noise, when things start smoking and things start getting hot, you need to pull over and you need to deal with it. And if you don't, there's consequences. And it's the same with guilt. It's actually a gift from God. It means we're alive, just like pain. Pain means you're alive. If somebody were to cut you with a knife and you didn't bleed and nothing happened, it means you're dead. You can't love people and not experience pain, amen? If you love people and you get disappointed, guess what? That means that you are alive (laughs) and live in this real world. You know what it is to to constantly just feel happy? And, you know, Jesus promised a full life, but he didn't promise a a, a state of unending, right, pleasure. You know what that is in this life? And it's not unending. It ends hard and fast. That's just getting high. Right? And it doesn't last. And it's not what Jesus taught us. And then Jesus says to Judas, he says, the poor you always have, but not always need me. I just want to take a couple minutes to defend enjoying the finer things in life. <laughs> Amen? Not what you normally hear, um, you know, in a sermon, but it's important. This is important. That nobody steals your joy. That nobody else's jealousy messes up your head. Amen? 
I, I remember being a, like a brand new Christian, and there was a single woman. She came home from the mission field, and she talked about the joy of things like chocolate, things she hadn't had for years. She hadn't, she didn't lived in, there was no electricity. She lived in the bush. She had given up so many things for years. She'd given up the prospects, mostly, of being able to find someone she could marry, right? She had given up all kinds of things for Jesus. And I just remember her talking and challenging us. We we were, we were at the church, and I'll, I'll never forget it. She talked about how in America we evaluate everything based on was it fun. But, like, there's things in life that are good that aren't fun. She said there's almost not a day that it's fun. She's going to be honest. There's not a, it's always hard. But God is doing things, and it's good. There's relationships. And we sit together, and you get to be known and know other people, and it's good. You get to share meals with people, and it's, it's good. It's not like, whoo, that was awesome, right? But it's good. It's good. And a lot of life is not fun, but can be good. But it's like, where is our heart? What is it we're looking to get out of things? But then she said this, and I didn't understand this until I actually went you know what I mean? And lived on the mission field myself. She said, but you need to enjoy the life and the opportunities that God has given you. She said, don't wait for the opportunities to go to the park, to travel, to see beautiful things. Don't waste the opportunity to go to a concert. Don't waste the opportunity to go to a movie. She can't do none of those things. And she appreciated those things so much more, having had all those things taken away. Life is short and hard, but we don't have to punish ourselves. Mary wasn't wrong for having $50,000 perfume. She wasn't in sin. You hear what I'm saying? She wasn't wrong. And this should hit you and, like, really hit you. Some preach a gospel that being poor is a lack of faith and some kind of failure and nothing could be further from the truth. Amen? Jesus was poor. <laughs> Jesus was poor. So, so you're not a failure if you're struggling to pay rent and you've been moving from place to place and you've had a hard time of it. And that whole idea is called the prosperity gospel, and it has a lot more. It's very American, but it ain't very biblical. But on the other hand, like I said, Jesus was poor. A lot of his disciples were poor. But some also had businesses. Peter had house. Peter had boats. Peter had employees. After Jesus had died and rose again. Like, some of Jesus' followers were not poor. And we can have this thing, instead of prosperity gospel, we have a poverty gospel. Which is just basically, the old word for that is jealousy. <laughs> the old word for that is just jealousy. And the old word for the um, prosperity gospel is greed. And guess what? Jesus wants you to repent of greed 
He also wants you to repent of jealousy. Those are sins that God wants us to turn away from. I feel like some of us might have been on Judas' side. I know some days I, I, I would. Just admitting that to you right now. I feel like, you know, some of us would be guilty. Like if somebody were to offer us something nice, you know. Oh, man, come on this helicopter ride with me. Oh, that's not, that's not the kind of thing for me. You got the wrong guy. What? You know what I mean? Like there's things we just like don't do because we don't want other people jealous of us wherever we came from. I know for sure. I know people whose like parents or whose, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, they sabotage their own relationships. People are trying to get their license. They're 30, 40 years old, and their family members are having a crisis the day they're supposed to take the test because they don't want to see their own family do better than them. They want to suffer and not suffer alone. And what I'm saying is that this is a poverty mindset that Jesus came to break us free from. There are things that if we work hard, plan, and do with all of our strength focused, is going to make some of the family and the people around us and some of our friends feel weird. Like, oh, you trying to leave us? You think you're better than us? No. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I'm just believing what God said about me. I'm believing his promises. I'm believing that he's good and he wants to give me good things. I'm believing his word, which teaches left and right, that when you work hard, amen, that God has given you power. He's given you a voice. He's given you hands. He's given you an opportunity to actually do something in this life. And we forget that. And that's the devil. He wants to rob us of all of our opportunities. You know, I want you to know that I am so proud of the people in our church that have broke generational expectations and are owning homes. Do you know that? Some of the people in this room. They have a car, right, that's not like 30 years old and like usually not working. <laughs> right? There's people in the room like that. They didn't expect that. They didn't think that's what, that was going to be their life. And, and, and it wasn't because they, anything happened to them. They got a special hookup that someone else who didn't. They, God was good, yes. And they worked in his plan. Like I know people in this church that said no up to a thousand nights of ordering Uber Eats and going to the corner store and doing a lot of dumb things, and now they have things in their life that are awesome, that break the expectation of their family and their background. Jesus came to give us a full life, not a miserable life. Our brother Bill, he plays keyboard, right? He talks about how sin institutionalizes us. You know, when you, that, you, I don't know if you've ever seen Shawshank Redemption. It's my favorite movie. And the old guys, like, they'll talk about, he's institutionalized, right? And what that means is, like, he can't function outside of prison. And some of us, it's like, we can't function without a stream of bad things happening to us. 
one after another. We don't know how to just kind of break free from that. We think that it's always going to be the hammer dropping on us, left or right. And we don't know how to receive good news. (laughs) But Jesus came to give us a full life, not a miserable life. You can't just expect bad things to happen. Like there's a times when Jesus bailed them out. I know there's times Jesus bailed you out. (laughs) I know there's, there's times Jesus bailed me out. There's times where I've sold things, right? And it was to the dollar exactly what I owed. Now, only God can do that. That was not a financial plan. That was a provision. And God is the one who wants both. He wants you to plan for stuff, but he's also so kind. And he just provides. When we're in a mess. When we have nowhere else to turn. When the disciples didn't even have, like, money to pay their taxes. And they were going to get jailed up and all that. Jesus is like, go fishing. (laughs) And they go fishing. And they reel in a fish that has coins in its mouth. And they were able to pay the tax collectors. God can provide for us in crazy ways. And so Mary could just be crazy generous. And it's a beautiful thing. But I need to hear that you to hear this too tonight. Jesus has to come before our quote unquote good works. Like our church, we do a lot of stuff. We give out food every month. We're gonna have a big uh, meal for right before Thanksgiving. We help people in all kinds of ways, moving people from one house to another, putting stuff in storage. I mean, we have gotten right our hands dirty. <laughs> helping people, getting involved in people's lives in really practical ways. But here's the thing. Jesus comes before our quote-unquote good works. And our good works can't come before Jesus. Mary was right in this situation. While there will always be things to do, and Jesus said there will always be the poor, right? But I'm only here right now. And this is really important for us. I, I remember Back in the day, there was a commune that was in Philadelphia, a few blocks from my house. And it was a bunch of, like, Jesus hippie people, right? And, and they moved in, and they were wide-eyed, full of faith. And they wanted to do stuff for people. They were living in Kensington. My family's from Kensington. We were living in Kensington. Kensington is Camden on a bad day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's real. And we lived right across the where, where, where they had the heroin highway, they, right under the bridges. Um, I mean, we saw all kinds of stuff. And I remember these people, these like, you know, Jesus hippie people. They came in and they bought homes on the block. They all lived together on the same block. And people would come from all over the world to live there with the idea that this is somewhere where you could be radical for your faith live among the poor, and really do the Jesus thing. Here's the problem. From day one, from day one, good works were before Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. And I can tell you, person after person after person I personally knew, who now is nowhere with Jesus, and nowhere living in the hood, out in their nice little home in the suburbs, that was a phase of their life. A nice little, like, little, like, you know, when we were young, we did some crazy stuff. I want to be crazy for Jesus when I'm old. 
I want to be crazy for Jesus my whole life. And I am not, what I'm saying is when we put our love for our neighbors in the reverse order, and we put our love for our neighbors first in the great commandment, and our love for God second, we get it twisted. When you don't love God first, your little bank, your little reservoir of love for other people is going to dry up real quick. Come on. When you don't love God first and have a life-giving relationship with God, people are going to grind your gears. People are going to drain your bank account. People are going to use and abuse you, and you're going to be done after five years, ten years, whatever it is. But you ain't going to offer up your whole life to a life of loving people who can't pay you back unless you love God first. We have to love God first. Judas also in his whole gaslighting here is, is saying, you know what? Let's think about this practically. We could have helped a lot of people. It's not that Jesus didn't help. Nobody helped more people than Jesus. Nobody helped more people than Jesus. And Jesus founded the church. And no organization in all of history has helped more people than the church. Churches had black eyes. Churches done some dumb stuff throughout history, like every institution with human beings in it. But nobody has fed more people. No other institution has men come who were wife beaters came and they repented. No other institution has there been where people come and are set free from their addictions for not just the last few decades, but for centuries. How did that happen? Because there's a love for God first that fills your soul and empowers you then to love your neighbor. The kind of heart we all need to have is the kind where we would give our very best. We'd give that that perfume, that $50,000 perfume, and gladly and quickly break it and pour it on Jesus. That's the kind of love that God is calling us to. Amen? I want to read this. It's from the greatest chapter in the Bible. Romans chapter 8. I don't have it on the slide, but starting in verse 31. I just want to remind you as we end this message. Yes, Mary was really generous, right? But she understood something. story starts off saying, six days from Passover, meant that it was five days from when Jesus was going to hang on a cross. Blood of Jesus and the life of Jesus is worth a lot more than a $50,000 perfume. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how he will not also get, grant us everything? Who can bring accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. 
Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are put to death all day long and we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm just trying to remind you that while Mary gave this $50,000 perfume to Jesus, Jesus gave Mary his life. And if God would send his son for you, and not just for Mary, but for you, if you put your trust in him, he could take care of everything else. You don't have to walk around waiting for the hammer to drop. You can ask your father for good things. You can ask your father for healing. You can ask your father for a better job. You can ask your father to get out of the situation you're in. He has promised us a full life and eternal life. He has called us his own children. Listen, when we are God's sons and daughters, he wants you to walk around with a little confidence. He don't want you to walk around ashamed and beat up and acting like nothing good is coming your way. You don't have to be institutionalized. You've been led out of the prison of sin. You're free in Christ. There is joy. There is a full life. Yeah, terrible things are going to happen to us. It said that in the text. What did it say? It didn't say, and now we follow Jesus. No more affliction. No more persecution. No more suffering. No, it didn't say that. It said, can any of these things separate us? From his love, and the answer is nothing can. Nothing can. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Mary's act of generosity. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Lord, we pray that you would be with us in our lives. In everything we have going on this week, Lord, would you provide God. Help us to break free from both the greedy prosperity thinking that we gravitate towards that we've heard on the radio or TV, but also help us break from the jealous poverty mindset where we limit what you can do. We limit what you've actually empowered us to do. We just accept things we should never accept. Lord, help us break free. In Jesus' name.